Well, in May of 2016, sorry, it's very warm up here this morning, a wildfire broke out in northern Alberta. And when all was said and done, a million and a half acres were burned. The most expensive natural disaster in Canadian history. The biggest evacuation in Alberta's history. 80,000 people evacuated from their homes. They had firefighters from as far away as South Africa that came to help fight the fires. I'm sure most of you this morning, like myself, have some sort of connection to the fire in Fort McMurray. And of course, this summer, as we experience the smoke, we're very mindful of what residents in BC are feeling, what might be going through their minds. Well, my connection is a pastor friend of mine who ministers in Fort Mac. He has four young children. Uh, the oldest of which is in uh, elementary school, just a little bit older than my son. And his wife works for Suncor uh, on site in the oil fields. And when the fire started, uh, his oldest son came home from school and said, Dad, uh, they're saying that there's a fire and it's pretty close. Should we be worried? Is it, is it going to come here? And my friend said, No, son. Don't worry. It's, it's very far away. It's it's not a very big fire. I'm sure the firefighters will have it under control in no time. A little while later, as the fire grew and grew and they couldn't get it under control, his son came home and said, uh, Dad, it's not just the kids that are talking about it. It's, it's the teachers. The teachers are scared. Should we be worried? Is the fire going to come here? And his dad said, no, son, don't worry. It, it's growing, but there's a long way away, and we have the big river in front of us, the Athabasca River. You don't need to worry. The fire can't jump the river. And as the fire reached the banks of the Athabasca River, his son came home and said, Dad, it's all anyone's talking about. It. No one can talk about anything else. I'm really scared, Dad. What's going to happen? His dad said, son, son, look at the Athabasca. Look how big it is. Look how wide it is. We're fine. Fire can't jump the river. The message of the prophets in the Bible is one of warning. Right? Have you picked up on that yet? That is... To not get too settled into our way of life. To not think that everything's okay. To not think, well, the fire can't jump the river. In fact, Ezekiel 13, 10 to 12 says this. Because they lead my people astray. And he's talking about the religious leaders. He's talking about the pastors. Saying peace. When there's no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. And when the wall collapses, the people will the people not ask, where is the whitewash you covered it with? 
or the prophet Jeremiah, the paraphrase of the message in chapter 6. Prophets and priests and everyone in between twist words and doctor truth. My people are broken, shattered, and they put on band-aids saying, that's not bad, you'll be just fine. But things are not fine. Real prophets define the situation. They don't pull any punches. Real prophets tell us where we've been, where we are today, and where God is taking us. They're retelling, they're forthtelling, and they're foretelling. They were still on evacuation notice when my friend was telling me this story, staying here in Calgary with friends. Don't worry, son. The fire can't jump the river. And who can blame him? I would have said the same thing. But as you know, on May 4th, 2016, that fire did jump the river. And as my friend was telling me this story, Tears are coming down his face. He talks about picking his son up from school when the evacuation notice hit. And his son was hysterical. And he was crying in the car as they drove away saying, Dad, you promised. You promised we were safe. You promised it couldn't jump the river. And they talked about how scary it was going back, thinking about going back, not knowing if their home was still standing, not knowing if their church was still standing, not knowing if their city looked completely different, if there was a city at all. I imagine it was a similar feeling for the people of Judah. The Judeans, as you remember, were taken into exile by that superpower, Babylon. But in 50 years, they were allowed to start returning. Returning to Jerusalem, that great city that had at its center the temple for the worship of God. Will my home be intact? Will the temple still be standing what will that great city of Jerusalem look like? And we just spent three weeks on minor prophets Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah, who were all pre-exilic, remember? All prophets warning, defining the situation, telling the truth. Hey, look, this is what's happening. This is what God is doing. Beware. He will use an instrument for judgment. Despite what the priests and the leaders were telling the people, peace, peace. The prophets knew what was really unfolding. And their warnings brought on their own extreme unpopularity. <laughs> but they spoke truth. Well now, with the prophet Haggai, we pick up after the destruction. After the whole exile into Babylon. 
after even the fall of Babylon itself, that great superpower, to the new superpower, Persia. After the first seeds of hope, as King Darius of Persia allows some to return now to, no, not a kingdom anymore, but a mere sub-province of Judah, which is basically Jerusalem itself. Enter Haggai, the prophet of the priority of the presence of God. We'll come back to that idea in a minute. You see, Haggai is a different kind of prophet. If you thought by now, at this point in the summer, well, I've, I've got these prophets figured out, this book of 12, they all kind of sound similar. Well, I look forward to you reading Haggai this week. He's different. You see, we know that the prophets spoke for God, that they're God's mouthpiece, we've said. And the message that we've primarily heard from these messengers of God has been criticism of people and priests alike for their empty ritualistic worship, right? We've heard that message over and over and over again this summer. They've harped on the religious establishment, the people of Judah and Israel, for keeping the outwards motions of worship while neglecting the deeper reality. We focused on these themes so often in, in this series. Forget the showy display of temple worship. Start living right. Seek justice for those who are oppressed. Have mercy. Have compassion on those who need an extra measure of love and care. And love the Lord your God, not by proud displays of temple worship, but by humbly caring for the needs of others, by being fair in your business dealings, by showing gratitude, by showing and sharing generously your homes and your talents and your time. But Haggai's message seems to be just the opposite when you start reading it. The prophet says right at the start of his short book, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house, that is the temple. But then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, the temple, remains in ruin? Why, now that the temple is in ruins, is the prophet of the day suddenly calling for it to be rebuilt? Seems strange, doesn't it? After all we've heard this summer? Is Haggai's call to rebuild the temple simply a, a kind of a prophetic buyer's remorse? A sort of proverbial, be careful what you wish for. God might just make it come true. I don't think that's what's going on here. In fact, I'm certain that's not what's going on here. You see, Crisis refocuses priorities, doesn't it? When the residents of, of Fort Mac drove away from their homes, they had no way of knowing if their things would survive. But they still drove away. Because what was most important was the safety and the security of their families. That kind of experience forces us to realign our priorities. 
realign them to what truly matters in life. Putting those things first. I talked with my pastor friend a while ago and asked him how life and ministry was going now that everyone had returned to Fort Mac. He noted that it's amazing how quickly things get back to normal, or at least near normal, after something so traumatic. When, when people returned, those refocused priorities began to settle back into old patterns quicker than you might think. As you reflect on the story of Judah, it seems so difficult for us to grasp with the benefit of hindsight, right? I mean, the prophets, they warned you. Repent, turn back to God, and, and perhaps, remember we've heard that word several times to the prophets, perhaps he will spare you from the judgment that he's bringing. But even when you did reform and renew and recommit, it lasted less than a generation. Had no sticking power. And so God brought his instrument of judgment, in this case, the superpower of Babylon, that empire of death. And your people were taken off into exile. And now as God <laughs> relents in his judgment and he seeks renewal, he starts to return you to your land. And so we think, well, surely 50 years in Babylon, these people have learned their lesson by now. Surely they'll prioritize God and not neglect him for fear of this pattern repeating itself. But that doesn't seem to be the case. No, they return home and busyness sets in. Things need to be done, after all. Houses need fixing. Crops need to be planted. Our health needs to be tended to. The urgent overwhelms the important. And so enter Haggai, the prophet of the priority of the presence of God. When bills got to be paid, when the house needs to be fixed, when Homework is calling when sermons don't write themselves, when Netflix doesn't binge watch itself. All right, maybe that doesn't fall into the category of urgent. But you get the point. There are things in our life that press in on all sides. And some of those things feel urgent, feel like they need to be dealt with yesterday. But as followers of Christ, Haggai reminds us that a legit relationship with God prioritizes the presence of God. To learn to prioritize the presence over the suffocation of the urgent, but still lesser priorities. That's what Haggai is all about. Friends, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I am bad at sidestepping the urgent to consider the important. If my email inbox isn't up to date, I find it difficult to stop and do my devotions. And that might seem crazy to you coming from a pastor. If I have a list of daily to-dos, which I do every day, usually the last thing on that list is make a to-do list for tomorrow, and they aren't all checked off, 
find it hard to, to stop and to pray for those people that God has put on my heart. That's not what I want, but that's the truth. And so I have had to find ways to prioritize the presence of God above the feel of the urgent. In both chapters of Haggai, we're reminded of the important. God says, I am with you. And at the root of Haggai's call for the people to begin work on the temple again is this reality, the promise that God's presence will dwell in that temple. Prioritize the presence of God. Don't you remember? That's what we neglected. That's what got us into the mess in the first place. Not even 50 years in Babylon can remind you to seek first the presence of God. I'd like to close this morning by drawing two comparisons between Haggai's message and, and the New Testament. And they both come from Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. By the way, the, the whole of this sermon can be found in the first seven verses of Haggai. It's a short book, only two chapters, but all, all that we're talking about today in the first seven verses. So let me read this for you. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. So I want to focus on the middle part first. The message that Haggai is trying to get across is related to this idea of the priority of the presence. It sounds eerily familiar, doesn't it? Maybe to Matthew chapter 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Very simple. We focus so much on the busyness of our work. We haven't learned to sidestep the urgent to consider the important. Seek first the presence of God. And all these things will fall into their proper perspective. Second, I want to make it clear that pursuing the priority of the presence of God does not mean rebuilding the temple like it did for Haggai. With the arrival of Jesus, his death, and his resurrection, the New Testament talks about the presence of God still dwelling in the temple, doesn't it? Only now, that temple is our very own bodies. as The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. And so it doesn't quite work to exchange, you know, church building or temple, as we read through Haggai. However, that isn't a license to neglect our church building, our facility. I, I thought it lined up wonderfully. We, we didn't have this plan, but uh, Doug would come up this morning and talk about an update on the long-range planning. It's like the Spirit had something to do with that. 
a ministry resource. That is what our building is. It's a ministry resource so that people can encounter the presence of God, can encounter a community that is striving and working together to experience the presence of God and put that as a priority in our life. I hear some Christians these days talk about uh, what a waste of resources church buildings are. And you know what? In, in some cases, that, that may be true. That may be the case. But here at Oak Park, it is so crucial to what we are trying to do, to be responsive and receptive to where God is at work in our community, to use this building as a resource for his work. And so, in a way, it's not unlike Hagar. The call to step up to ensure that our gathering place is equipped, sufficient, the needed resource that we have to have for the ministry in our neighborhood. And that's what he means when he opens and closes. You'll notice verse 5 and verse 7 are the same. This passage that I just read. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Friends, let's stop focusing on ourselves and realize that we can invest in the wider body of Christ through the resources of our very own building right here. And so give careful thought to your ways. Learn the habit of sidestepping the urgent in order to attend to the important. Prioritize the presence of God. So as we come to the communion table, let us consider the presence of God in these mysteries that were given. The bread, Christ's body broken for us. The cup, Christ's blood poured out for us. Let us not neglect the important things that feel urgent. Take a moment when you receive the bread and the cup and seek first the presence of God above all else. Let's pray. God, there is so much that presents itself to us as urgent. We need wisdom. We need your spirit of discernment to teach us where you are at work in our world so that we can join you. Help us to prioritize your presence Help us to sidestep the urgent busyness that we sometimes feel that we're drowning in. Feed us with these elements, your body and your blood, so that we can be more like your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask now that you send your Spirit upon these gifts as we share them together. Amen.